Hey Zipper friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 71 of the Gayo Comic Con podcast. We are usually here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio director, your speakers, but this is our first podcast in uh, 12 weeks. Whoopsie! Uh, we took a little extended break, but now we're back and I am of course joined by my very grumpy boy wonder, Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Glad to be back behind the microphone? Yes. <laughs> Lies. Lies and slander. We have been gone for a while, but we're here. We have returned, and we have quite an action-packed show for you this uh, this week. We are joined by not one, not two, but five guests to celebrate the release of Warner Brothers Animation and DC Comics. DC Showcase Constantine the House of Mystery, which is a brand new animated short starring Matt Ryan as Constantine, but also collects all of the DC Showcase shorts that have been released over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. So we have Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth, Blue Beetle, and also The Losers. So this episode we are joined by uh, Matt Peters, who directed both Commandy and uh, the Constantine short. We're joined by Ernie Altbacher, who wrote the Constantine short. Tim Sheridan, who wrote the Losers short. Uh, Matt Lanter, who is the voice of Blue Beetle, uh, Ted Cord's Blue Beetle in the Blue Beetle short. And producer Rick Morales, who is part of the creative team who oversaw the creation of all four uh, episodes in this anthology. So you're going to be hearing from all of them across this podcast, which Boy Wonder's really happy about because it means that he doesn't have to talk anywhere near as long. To nod, people can't nod, hear you yes, nod. Yes, well you can. My neck quite creaky. <laughs> You've forgotten how to podcast. It's been so long. Uh, going to cover off a couple of big news headlines first. I was not going to have any news in this podcast whatsoever because I feel like we have enough content from all these interviews. But we had some rather big news in the last um, kind of week or so. So let's start with the quietly confirmed, but on Twitter rather than big kind of usual fanfare announcement that. Uh, Sex Education's Shuti Gatwa is taking over as the 14th Doctor from Jodie Whittaker and will be the new Doctor Who. How do we feel about this? You love a bit of Sex Education? Yes, the TV show. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, nope. Very, yeah, very excited. <laughs> if anybody's been watching uh, 10% on Amazon Prime, uh, sorry, Prime Video, the, the English language version of uh, Call My Agent, then... Uh, you might have realised that Martin has, for some reason, taken on a whole load of mannerisms from several of those characters, and he won't stop saying things like, yes, right, right, yes, well. But anyway, Shutigatwa, what do you think? Yes, well, very good, yeah. <laughs> I think he's brilliant in sex education, though, so I think he could be a great doctor. I can say yes. <laughs> you, can you, have him. <laughs> you just have to say, I agree. I agree, right, yes, agree, no. Very left field. I would never have picked. I would never no. have called it. So uh, it was only because uh, it had kind of sort of been semi-confirmed because, I, well, this is the thing. I, I'm sure it was probably all on purpose, but he'd put up an Instagram story with two hearts and a blue box, which Russell T. Davis had replied to and kind of said the bright star of the future or kind of like the bright future is beginning. Uh, so people suddenly jumped on the, oh my God, is Shooty Gatwa now going to be the Doctor? And then the BBC confirmed it in a tweet. So whether that was an accident or not, I don't know. Maybe someone in the press had started to hear about it. Last night here in uh, the UK, it was the TV BAFTAs and uh, Shooty was nominated for an award for sex education and was also presenting an award as well. 
So maybe they were just worried that he was going to be asked about it on the red carpet if some of the press had started to hear about it. Apparently he's been cast for several months now. He's known since February, so he's been keeping it quiet. So I guess maybe it was a quick, let's put something out before someone asks the question and it all doesn't end up getting announced properly and it's already out there. But he begins... So they they start shooting season four of Sex Education and I think it might even be this week or next week. So I think he has to do filming on that and will then, towards the end of production on sex education be doing double duty because they have to start shooting what i think will be a special which will be his first full episode as doctor who so the next episode of doctor who is a feature length that will premiere later this year and that's part of bbc's centenary uh celebrations and that's jodie whittaker's last episode presumably there'll be a fill-in shot somewhere where she will transition into him i've forgotten the word regenerate regenerate Uh, she will regenerate into him but that's normally when you get to see that person kind of not directed by the person who's maybe going to be their showrunner, not in their costume yet. They'll be in, he'll be in her costume having just regenerated. So that will happen later this year. And then I think either Christmas, sort of Christmas New Year special early next year will be his debut as the Doctor. So I think that's actually really exciting. And obviously Russell T. Davis is back as well. So you have the originator of contemporary Doctor Who with a very contemporary new Doctor. Maybe we'll get some good Doctor Who. Hopefully. It's been interesting reading reactions from people online because I think you and me have both struggled with Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. I've struggled with Doctor Who for years now. I still struggle with some of Matt Smith. I still struggle with some of Capaldi, even though I like both of them. And I've really struggled with Whittaker. I like her, but I don't feel like the writing on, on it has been very good at all. And no, I don't like it. The reaction online is quite interesting. I first expected to see a whole load of just either anti-woke or racist stuff in response to him. But actually, I have to say, I, I've searched pretty hard over the last 24 hours and I've only really found one tweet that was overtly like, oh, great, another black doctor. Well, not because obviously you've got the other universe doctor that is a doctor from before, the lady that oh, where Jodie okay. Whittaker ran into herself and learned there was more identities. Yeah, yeah. You've had her. Um, but obviously this is the first time we've had a black lead and... I expected to see more of that, but I didn't really see any of that kind of hatred. But what I was also surprised by was the number of people tweeting that they in some way wished that Jodie Whittaker had stayed on for another season and had a season of her being written by Russell T. Davis because people feel like she deserves a chance to have some great writing. Which, I mean, it's no slight on Chris Chibnall. I'm sure there are fans of his writing. It just hasn't worked for me. So I'm excited to see a new Doctor and Russell T. Davis back behind the helm. And Wales... Uh, so it is, I mean, it's Bad Wolf, which is the production company that came out of the group that he worked with on his years as Doctor Who. So I don't know. I would be nice if it was. I think they're going to, I have a feeling that Bad Wolf has a purpose-built studio that it uses that is in Cardiff. So I would imagine it might shift back that way. We should have to wait and see. I mean, we've not finished Flux or the last special. No, I think we'll just give up, really. I'm not, in a, we might just come back into it when when it shooty starts. And then the other big news is the cancellation of two of the CW's main Arrowverse shows. So Batwoman ended with the end of season three, will not return for a season four, and Legends of Tomorrow cancelled at the end of season seven, will not return for a season eight, which means that the only shows now which are, in theory, in the universe that was set up by Arrow are The Flash, which will be coming back for season nine later this year, 
and Superman and Lois, which will be returning for season three. We do also have Naomi, that's Fate Undecided at the moment and wrapping up its first season. And Stargirl will air its third season in summer and hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get a full season. Production is underway on the pilot episode of Gotham Knights, which does come from some of the writers and producers of Batwoman, but not in the same world. That will potentially, presumably, get a series pickup for later this year, depending on how they feel about the pilot. But thoughts on losing two Arrowverse shows? I mean... I could do without the Flash. <laughs> so you would have preferred to have lost another show to Legends. Yeah, could I swap Legends for the Flash? Mm, I feel the same. I would quite happily see Flash run off into the sunset and have more Legends. We have not yet seen season seven of Legends of Tomorrow. We're up to date to the end of season six, but haven't seen season seven. But I know that they introduced—I'm uh, going to forget his name—but the guy from Scrubs, Booster Gold, as Booster Gold. I oh, know I can't remember the actor's name. Um, and I saw someone tweet at one of the showrunners and say, well, clearly you asked DC for Booster Gold. And they went, well, you're fucking cancelled anyway, so have him. And the showrunner actually replied and said, no, actually, DC, we turned to DC and said, it looks like the CW may not pick us up. We'd like to introduce another character to help boost the ratings. Could we have Booster Gold? And DC said, we don't want you to end. And both DC and Warner Brothers immediately signed off and said, Booster Gold is yours. Do what you want. Um, I mean, it's all well and good that he can say that. It means nothing now, but that's the way that he's telling the story, at least. I am very sad about Legends. I think Legends is an excellent show that could run for a very long time. I'm sad that Sarah was the only one left from the original cast, but I still think that there was mileage in that storyline. I'm, I'm in mixed... I've got mixed feelings about Batwoman ending. What are your feelings on the end of Batwoman? I mean, I think the show was just doomed to begin with, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. And it's sad because I actually think season three was a good series of television. It had a shorter episode count, so it had a tighter story. They, yeah, they sidestepped around Batman villains in that, like, the trophies had been kind of taken from the Batcave and it meant that, like, someone was infected by Killer Croc's tooth. Someone was infected by Clayface and it was never quite It's Clayface. It's almost like Birds of Prey with their It's Clayface's son. It was like they became even more Batman adjacent, but they did it really well. And they had their kind of proto-Joker in Marcus, um, Ryan's half-brother. But that ended quite well. And I mean, it end, the, the season ended, spoilers for anybody that's not seen it, because they're only showing seven episodes on E4 and they don't seem to plan to show the rest of the season. But it ended with a huge fight between this kind of proto-Joker and Batwoman on a blimp when he was going to blow up several canisters of Joker toxin and basically melt everyone in the city because he'd managed to get them out into the street. So he basically threatens to reveal Batwoman's identity uh, on a big screen that's on this blimp and everyone takes to the streets as he's flying over the top and he was just going to rain Joker toxin down on everyone, which is, you know, that's dark. That's quite Jokerish. And then she manages to fly it away, dumps it on a kind of almost like the Narrows type area and there's still people there and it ends on a cliffhanger with some kind of skeletal hand clawing away at the screen and that was kind of a hint for what might happen next. But I still think there was mileage, but I agree. I think it was doomed from the minute a certain other actor left the show or shouldn't have been cast in it in the first place. Well, I mean, it's just if you're going to do it, do it right. Don't yeah. do all this. We're in Gotham, but we're not going to talk about anything in Gotham. We'll all be, yeah. It'll be villain adjacent. Which is why I think that, really, it's been axed in favour of Gotham Knights. 
because do you want two shows set in two different Gothams on the same network? Probably not. Same writers, so they'd be splitting duty between two shows. And you've already allowed, if we're to believe what, you know, the casting size and stuff, that there will be Robins and Nightwings and Spoiler and Bluebird. And yes, they're... So the only set photo I've seen is a gravestone for Bruce Wayne and the idea is he's dead and they're learning to cope in a world without him. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not just one of Bruce's I'm deep undercover and therefore have had to fake my own death scenarios. But clearly they're allowing themselves to be a bit more Batman adjacent. Again, one of the characters is Joker's daughter. You know, Dula Dent's going to be in it. So you've already got actual connections to the Joker. Harvey Dent is in it as well. Um, The guy that played Castiel the angel in Supernatural is Harvey Dent in this show. So you've already allowed your other show that's from the same kind of production team to have a hell of a lot more connections than the show you already had running. So I feel like the age of the Arrowverse might be over and we're looking at more of a sort of individual, different Earths, different takes, but with more access to characters. I mean, even Superman and Lois has never acknowledged anything other than Diggle's appearance and a couple of passing references. I know we've not seen the final season of Supergirl, or no, we've seen the first few. Uh, like like the final episode of Supergirl, she goes on TV to the world, does the whole like glasses off. I don't know if that's actually what she does, but comes out to the world that Kara Danvers is Supergirl, which you would think would be on TV show like on TV sets then seen in Flash and Superman, where it's like, oh god, the world now knows who she is. But it's not reverberated across any of the other shows, which means kind of post-crisis, they're more disconnected than they ever were connected in the first place, which is very strange. Like, you all came together to fight the crisis, and now you're all so far apart that you don't even really acknowledge each other. Strange. That's just families. (laughs) It's true. So, I would love to know what you think about the loss of both of those shows. So, if you have an opinion, please do find me on social media at Neil Vag, or find us at Get Your Comic Con on all major platforms. On with the show. Uh, now, I, like we have a good like, 40, 50 minutes of interviews which are going to be coming up in, in the next few minutes, um, which I will kind of introduce and talk a bit about each one as we go. But before we do talk uh, with all of these wonderful creators about the DC Showcase shorts, I wanted to get your opinion on this new Constantine short because you are a big Constantine fan. You are a Matt Ryan fan. You have interviewed Matt Ryan on this very show. Uh, and he is back after a year of playing a different character on Legends in the final season. He's back as Constantine. This is a kind of epilogue to Justice League Apocalypse War, which came out in 2019, I want to say. Uh, so what did you think about House of Mystery? I really liked it. Yeah. So it clocks in at 26 minutes. So it's kind of like an extended short. Most of the shorts are 12 to 15 minutes. But the kind of major short that anchors one of these collections is always a little bit longer. So this one clocks in at about 26 minutes. And it's kind of like a Groundhog Day in Hell for Constantine after uh, his idea to reset the multiverse at the end of Apocalypse War. Good to have Matt Ryan back as Constantine. I think so. He's the definitive Constantine of our hmm. era, era, age. Yeah, moment. which is something that I talked about with, with Matt and with Ernie, so the director and the writer, which you'll hear in a minute. But I agree, I think... When I read Constantine, or if I am if I'm consuming a piece of Constantine media, then Matt Ryan's is the voice I'm going to hear. Mm. Do you need to go back and watch his show? We need his own series again. Yeah, uh, 
I do feel like he says shite a lot in this uh, short. I know, it's a bit, there's not really like an English cockney word, really, is it? You'd expect me to say that when we're back home. What the shite? Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, we talked a lot about um, Matt and how he approaches the character because he's been playing him for 10 years now pretty much at this point and they were saying that he would you know they work with him and that they allow him to kind of say if a line doesn't feel like something constantine would say or if he feels like there's something that constantine is more likely to say because he's played him so so long um but you can just feel how like he probably just walks in and is constantine in in the vocal booth when he does it it's interesting i thought it was very fitting that he there is some dialogue with Spectre, which alludes... Do you know what? When I say that character Spectre. name... Yeah, I kind of want to say Spectre. Um, well, there's some dialogue between those two characters, between Constantine and Spectre. That, what do you mean, Spectre? <laughs> that kind of alludes to what's really going on. And I feel like it's quite fitting that Constantine wouldn't even allow himself to have a peaceful afterlife. Doth you not agree, boy wonder? Yes. Why, what are you searching your desk for? I was trying to look for my little cloth to clean my glasses, but I don't know what I've done with it. Oh, dear. Um... Very smudgy here. <laughs> it's a good, it's a great little self-contained story, though. I think it works really well. I don't think it needs to be any longer. Did you feel like it was too short, too long? Does it work well as a short? Oh, of course, a lot of questions. Yeah, I think it was fine as a, a short. Yeah. It worked well. There were some nice nods to the comics with the House of Mystery. Yes, House of Mystery, first introduced in the 1950s, I would like to add. Very good. Yes has made appearances throughout DC Comics history, once owned by Constantine for a period of time as well. Okay. And which run was that? Ooh, I don't know. Go on, which run was it? Justice League Dark. Oh, I was going to say New 52, but that's my answer to everything. <laughs> how, did he, how did he get it? He won it in a card game. He did win it in a card game. Well done. Thank you very much. I do know my stuff sometimes. It was the headquarters of the Justice League Dark until it fell into the hands of Zatanna. Mm, who also appears in this film. What do you think about how they use Zatanna in this film? It's not really her though, is it? It's a demon. It is, but it's still playing on the relationship between Constantine and Zatanna. Zatanna. I couldn't quite get the word out. That was going to be Zatanna. I mean, I think there's you know, such a tragic romance between those two. Mm. Will they? Won't they? They're having a terrible time at the minute in the current Justice League Dark. Oh, are they? What's wrong? Well, it's just the, the usual. Will they? Won't they? Oh, okay. He's a, he's a rogue... Not right for her, but you know, she loves I also part. showed you the Blue Beetle short from this as well, uh, just because I wanted you to see. Uh, well, it's because it's awesome, really. What do you think of that one? The 70s yes. Spider Man esque. It's so clever. Colorful. The amount of detail they went to to show the lack of detail that you would have had in the 70s is amazing. So, stuff like there's a scene where uh, Ted Cord finishes talking and the other character starts talking, but Ted Cord's mouth is still moving. Or. There's a couple of shots where the colour in his costume switches. So the bits that should be dark blue become the light blue and the light blue becomes the dark blue because it's just they were trying to mirror that kind of lack of detail that you had in the 70s when you were working incredibly fast to try and just bash out an episode of a cartoon that you were just drawing as fast as you can and that was it. And there was no time to fix your mistakes. So I quite like it. I thought it was very, very clever the way they did it. And I would actually quite like to see that as an entire series. Hmm. Yes, I, I agree. Right, yes. <laughs> I don't know what you want him to say. You'd, you'd ended on a... It was a statement, it wasn't a question. Well, I was expecting you to just reply with what you thought. Oh, I mean, it was all right. I mean, I'm not a massive Blue Beetle fan. I don't, no. I've not read a lot about him. So. Oh, so not overly excited for the Blue Beetle film, which is also on its way to the screen at the I moment. I thought that was a HBO Max no, series. No, it's been shifted to theatrical release. 
Oh, is that an upgrade? I think mm. there are rumors that Batgirl might have the same upgrade. I thought she was a film. No, she's HBO Max. Is both Blue Beetle. No, it's TV. Uh, Blue Beetle and Batgirl were both announced as movies for HBO Max, oh. but Blue Beetle has been upgraded from kind of like streaming movie to theatrical release movie uh, and there's no talk that Batgirl might also get a little bump in budget to go from streaming movie to uh, theatrical uh, oh so then that's less worry about pushing back release date if it's just going to be streamed in theory yeah it's still got Michael Keaton in it which is confusing for those who've not seen Flash that no one will have until June of next year well yeah I suppose we don't know what how much is in it. It could be a setup. You just don't know. Well, it's true. Uh, I mean, the only times that he did any, we're talking about Batgirl. We're supposed to be talking about these showcase shorts. Uh, the only time he was spotted on set was in flashback filming. So there you go. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so before we get down to these interviews, you would recommend DC showcase shorts, Constantine, the semicolon, House of Mystery. Yes, I would. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Final thoughts. Uh, if you don't watch it, why not? <laughs> it's only 24 minutes six six minutes i mean there's not a lot of time you could have that's a lunch break that is a lunch break if you're working from home it's stunning animation in 4k as well i'd only seen so i've seen it four or five times because i was going through making sure i was prepped for interviews but i was watching a, a like a screener version from the studio with watermarks and stuff and it was it wasn't even hd so to see it in full like 4k it's quite a beautiful animation yeah and if you like that Go and watch the other one, City of Demons. That's a good mm, shot as yeah, well. Yeah, I quite fancy going back and watching City of Demons again. Anyway, let's crack on with uh, with the interviews. So first up, um, I had a chance to talk to both the writer of Constantine, the House of Mystery, Ernie Altbacher, who also uh, co-wrote Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, and Matt Peters, who directed both uh, the Constantine short and the Commandy Last Boy on Earth short. He also works on uh, Apocalypse War. I really struggle with saying Apocalypse War for some reason. So let's what listen to both of those interviews first. Do you know, I found my thing. You found your cloth. Well done. I found my cloth. Over to the interview. <laughs> Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Yeah, I am very well. Thank you. Thanks very much for taking the time to chat with me today. Sure. So diving straight in, the the House of Mystery calls back to such a huge moment for Constantine from the end of Apocalypse War. It's kind of that moment that he refers to as his, the first truly noble thing that he's ever done. Um, was that a moment that was something you wanted to revisit after having kind of co-directed Apocalypse War? Actually, it was it was uh, co- um, co- Soda. Uh, sorry, Christina Soda and I co-directed war and we we wrapped up we shook hands we felt we did a good job we <laughs> told james thanks for everything we ended it we honestly thought that that was the end that uh later um rick approached me and he said that house mystery mystery short and they were going to pick up on uh and put essentially a small level onto the film and i was shocked i said oh my gosh that's great because um it was just a revisit the character and revisit the the situations from the movie before and I think they want me on because I had the experience of working with uh, Christina Soto directing the movie so it, it wouldn't be something and it was somebody who had a, a history of the film yeah yeah and it's, it just seems so fitting kind of as a fan of the character that even after this big noble gesture you know he wouldn't actually even allow himself to be at peace so what was it what was it like kind of getting to refocus just on Constantine following that moment and kind of dive into his his psyche as a consequence of what he'd done yeah same before that like uh when Christina and I directed uh, Apocalypse War it was such a tremendous 
that we basically divided it in half and did a divide and conquer on it. <laughs> and she fo- she focused on the scenes of the character that she liked, which was Raven. So she was able to take the Raven scenes. As a Superman fan, so I ended up focusing on Superman. So in a way, we both kind of uh, we both kept you know the the Constantine's uh, scenes were tossed back and forth between two of us, and. and in a sense, it's like I didn't really get a chance to explore his character as deeply as I could have until we got to this thing. And just like you're saying, to, to have the story unfold where you're dealing with a character in the universe, but then ends up not being able to allow some kind of comfort, he just rejects it. It's just, it's perfectly that character, and it was really fun to be able to look. I mean, Matt Ryan's been playing Constantine on screen now for, you know, it's, it's going on for nearly a decade. Uh, it must be like second nature to him, kind of flipping in and out of that character. What was it like kind of reuniting with him after having worked with him on Apocalypse War? Oh, it's always great. It's just, uh, we get to dance with and just watch that guy go to town. And he <laughs> is just an, an inescapable talent. He loves the He's just a sweet person to work with. So it's it really our voice director is the one who's, who's doing both the heavy and, and getting the the scenes that we want and everything, but yeah. but for us it's it's we get to work as like fanboys. We get to sit and listen to him perform, and get an opportunity just to say hello to him. That we think he's doing so. It's it's kind of like um, it's just a treat. I mean, it's just like and, and the character devotes so much time and attention, and so many years to the character. It's just really fantastic to see him kind of continue that on. <laughs> Yeah, you touched on it slightly there, but obviously you worked with uh, with voice director Wes Gleason, um, who is, is somewhat of a legend in the the DC animated universe. What's the what's mm-hmm. the working kind of process like when you have you know yourself as the director and then you have a voice director working with the actors as well? Well, Wes is a, is an absolute delight. He's fun. He's he's just like he always keeps the spirit like and fun to work with with all the different actors and things. And the best thing about it is he really likes to keep both Rick and myself while we're in there. And he reads a script thorough backwards, forward, up and down from every angle. Got a great idea of how to approach the drama and things. And it just really helps those actors. But but he's also got his ear open to both Rick and myself. So we'll be sitting there listening and, and making sure that it's like, okay, well, is he in the right setting? Is he in the right state of mind? And sometimes we'll pick up on a line read and we're like we think maybe it's a little bit more like this and he always takes it and it's always looking for that opportunity to explore it's 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 such a it, you think it's just an opportunity something aligned you know in multiple times but you find a variety and and wes always makes it fun and he'll explore and try to do different things to make it feel like like they're having fun with it it's just experience all around <laughs> And I think something that a lot of people will take away from from this film as well is uh, Robert J. Kral's score. It's outstanding. I, I keep re-watching the end credits for that piece of music. I mean, what was that like for you when you first got to hear back this kind of Halloween-esque, amazing theme tune that he's yeah. constructed for this? Yeah, well, for me, what happens is as soon as I'm done on direct, close up shop for me and they move me on to the next project. So <laughs> what always happens is, yeah, what always and it goes into all the, the stuff after, like putting in the music, and Rick is there supervising it. And so finally I'm getting to see the finished product, and I end up getting to experience the, the film essentially just like a fan or member. So as soon as the music comes pumping in, and like you said, it has this creepy Hollywood uh, Halloween box. It's like, oh, my God, this is flawless. It's perfect. And, you know, I just feel lucky. It's like I, I, I get a chance to actually meet these guys very often unless it's at Comic-Con, but it's, I just want to shake their hands because they do such a great job 
<laughs> it, it, it is. It's, it's like I mean, a cherry on top. I've been a fan of his since his work back on Angel, the TV series as well. So when his name crops up, I'm always excited to see what he does. And he really knocked it out of the park. But you also, I mean, you also directed um, Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth, which is part of this collection of shorts. Um, so again, another really big fanboy experience. What's it like playing in Jack Kirby's version of the DC Universe? It was just a unbelievable, mind-blowing fun. It was like, as a comics growing up, it was it was like the minute that Rick pitched to me the idea that they were going to do this short to have like the look and feel of a Jack Jack Kirby comic from 1972. Yeah. I was just like, beyond? Are you kidding me? And really, I think it was Rick and, and the designers who, who uh, deserve to the applause for that. In all honesty, because they really worked hard to kind of hammer out that style to really make sure it would be it would transfer over into animation. And I, I think it works flawlessly. It was like. It was it was kind of an easy thing to direct, really, on the on the story end of it, because we were following the mechanics of the story. We were sure that that vibe of the comic book, but but it's the design that I really think just just brings it all together. It's the unifying element that just kind of makes that thing feel like you're looking at something from 1972. Yeah, they it's did true. It. It's true. It's so it's so beautiful to look at. And there's something really interesting about these shorts as well. It's a great way to dive into these kind of slightly lesser known characters. And of course, there's also there's the Blue Beetle short, which is in this collection. And that character is now headed to the big screen. Um, are there any other characters that you would like to tackle in this kind of showcase setting? Actually, I, um, I when asked that, I, asked, I love Milo. He's super talented. He robbed from me the Blue Beetle short. I would have loved to have worked on that thing. <laughs> and especially the way that they did it. Oh, my God, it was so flawless. They did such an outstanding job. Milo knocked it out of the park. But it's, it's, it, honestly, if I, if I had that chance, if I just had more time, if, if I just had the opportunity to, to direct that thing, I would have loved to have get my hands on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, though, because I, I kind of almost see a similar trajectory between Blue Beetle and, and Commandy, because my knowledge of two, the, you know, the two of them outside of comics is appearing as guest characters on Batman Brave and the Bold and then having the showcase shorts. So I'm just expecting Commandy to leap to the big screen at some point in the near future in some Jack Kirby epic, which would just be beautiful. But what's what's next uh, for you? What do you what have you got coming up next? Uh, they they got me at Warner Brothers. I'm working on a bunch of different things right now. Uh, I, I actually co-directed a movie with um, uh, Katie Walder, which is uh, the the Teen Titans uh, DC Superhero Girls crossover. Of course, and yeah. Uh, that yeah, I think that's coming out or it's out now. I'm I'm not sure, but either like a great opportunity again to co-direct, which opportunity is brilliant thanks very much guys i really really appreciate it thank you for taking the time to chat with me today and well i will look forward to catching up with you again very very soon hi ernie thanks for taking the time to speak with me today how are you doing oh great great how about yourself yeah i am very well thank you i am excited to talk constantine with you where are you located uh, so i'm in london uh, at the moment where it is actually surprisingly very very sunny today which is quite nice i have to say Great, great, man. I gotta get back to London. I need some, I need some cash out. That's probably not, don't put that in the So, we are calling back to an absolutely huge moment of Constantine's from Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, which, you know, he refers to in that opening monologue in this film as his first truly noble thing. Was that a moment which you had wanted to revisit after the making of Apocalypse War? Uh, 
it was a moment that I didn't know that I really wanted to revisit <laughs> after the making of because <laughs> it's it, it's basically so it was done right I yep. mean as you know the writer the writer gets on far earlier and he leaves the project earlier when when they start ramping up and they got to do the storyboards and the animation and the marketing's got to get kicked in stuff like that right so literally i will forget stuff that's coming out and then all of a sudden yes gary will announce something and i go oh i wrote on that <laughs> like sometimes <laughs> right? it's not like i write that many but but it's like did i, did I write on that you know <laughs> like if it's one episode of a show um so but i've got to wait for this to come down the pike a while even though it's it's you know, the super short, it's an extended short. Um, so after Apocalypse War, I, um, I handed in, they really got going on it, and then it went away. And then we had Pandemic and stuff. <laughs> and I was, writing, I was writing it right before or during the initial stages of the, of the pandemic. So in, in 2020, and so here we are now, and, and it's coming out. But it was, it was the 16-episode continuity was was over and done yeah. and Jim came and said hey I want to do one of the shorts that that we you know had permission to do is a house of mystery I want to make Constantine the lead so I'd like you to write it since you you've kind of written this character uh, before and um, and we can also make it a coda to the 16 uh, 16 film continuity and I was like Oh yes, I want it on that. <laughs> it seems really kind of fitting to me that a character like Constantine would make this huge universe altering gesture and then still not be able to kind of be at peace afterwards. And I know that you've said he's one of your favorite characters to write for as well. So what was it like getting the chance to I guess kind of unlock him a little bit more, focus in on him and dive a bit deeper into his psyche this time around? Well, I mean, I've, I've said I've said a bunch of times that Constantine's one of these bastards with a heart of gold, right? <laughs> but usually, usually because he does some sort of huge a-hole move, he's not he's not a sympathetic character, you know. Like you could be Chaz, his really good friend, and suddenly Chaz is eaten by a demon because Constantine's off doing something else or just getting drunk. And you're like, mm, I don't feel sorry for Constantine. This was a unique opportunity to try and get sympathy for this bastardy character, anti-hero, for this anti-hero. Yeah. Make people feel sorry, like that no one, no one should have to go through this. And I relished that chance, Neil. <laughs> I can hear it in your voice, I can tell. Mm. And then I suppose actually kind of building on that then, um, was it still important to make sure that he had an emotional connection? So I suppose the, there's, you know, there's still a focus on the relationship that he has with, with Zatanna. So amongst all of that chaos and the kind of horror of it all, there's still a, a kind of emotional connection and a weight that's there. Was that something that was important to, to still include in there to, to help bring that sympathy to the character? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the great thing is, so in Justice League Dark, we, it was a major subplot line was the Constantine Zatanna. Why can't these crazy kids be together? Right. Yeah. And then there was a little 
There was a little more of it in Apocalypse War, but you got to juggle plot lines of, of Lois and Clark yeah. and, and Bat, Batman and Batwoman, right? And, and, and Harley and Green Arrow, you know? I mean, like, it was just like, it was a lot. Um, so in this one, it, it's, it's mostly Constantine, and, and, and the main subplot is Constantine's attempt now to see what their alternate lives are you know, with kids, stuff like that, would be. And it wouldn't have fit anywhere else. You wouldn't got a chance to, to even do it. So I, I thought that was that was really fun. I mean, I, I think I like that one. I really like writing the, the shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's whatever I can put in some sort of, some sort of romantic thing or a love triangle, uh, I love doing that. And... Um, but I think I like the Constantine Zatanna one even more than Batman Catwoman because Constantine and Zatanna have like history where, oh, we screwed up and a bunch of people, a bunch of our friends were torn apart by demons. Not Batman and Catwoman do not have that on <laughs> the, the weight of that on their relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah that's they true. Like we are just different. We are different people. I like doing crimes, but I'm not going to kill anybody. But I'm not going to kill anybody either, but I don't like that you're doing crimes. This is like we fucked up and <laughs> a bunch of innocent people die because we let demons out. Like, that's tough. That's, try getting over that, you know? <laughs> that's true. I've not thought about it like that before. That's a, that's a very interesting perspective on it. That's That's... I will look at that with with fresh eyes the next time I, <laughs> I watch it. Well, you they- it's like they're perfect for each other, but early yeah. in their relationship, they screwed up, and it led to actual deaths, <laughs> including the whole Astra thing, small girl gets sucked into hell. I feel like that, that's on their relationship. You know? So that is like, this guy's this guy bad news. He's no good for me. But they love each other. Yeah. They know they're perfect for each other. They're both on the magic side. Hers is pure, you know? His is like this kind of gutter mage type. Oh, he's like the bad boy from the wrong side of the track. She's magical royalty. It's, it's Romeo and Juliet, baby. It's great. <laughs> with, well, with just about the same amount of deaths of their friends. <laughs> you uh, you just touched on it a little bit there, but, um, you you know, you kind of mentioned that with, with a film like Apocalypse War, you have this huge number of characters and you've got all these different subplots that have existed across all of those previous films that you're trying to tie up um so how you know how different is it when you're approaching something that uh is is more focused on a on a single lead character is, what's the difference in kind of writing that sort of project well i really like the juggling aspect of some of these movies and and i have gotten to do lately you know, with injustice and stuff, yep. I've had to do it, you know, varying rates of, of uh, um, skill, let's say. But um, it is kind of a relief where you're just like, I just got to deal with Constantine, you know, and then and all subplots, everything leads through Constantine. So there is something, there's a purity to it that I quite enjoy rather than, I did, if you if you would chart out something like just the dark apocalypse world, how many relationships and rivalries yeah. are in that thing, 
it is insane. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I can't. Can you imagine trying to just map that all out on a piece of paper in front of you compared to something a little bit more simple? It's yeah. It's, it boggles the mind, doesn't it? with a project such as one of these showcase shorts and you know and you've got a slightly shorter runtime are there complexities which come with that as well in terms of trying to create a satisfying story in a in a shorter space of time uh you know what jim and i have this shorthand because we were we worked on 11 minuters including justice league action mm. but he got me on, on an earlier show called mucha lucha and we found you could pack so much into 11 minutes so this was like going to be a 14 or 15 minuter and and even i was like man this is a lot this is this is a lot and and then uh it changed that we got to be the extended short in 24 and 25 and then it was like ah well now no problem now let's jam it in even more and leave that problem with the animators you know like here you go try and get all this in and not only do they get everything in they put even more stuff in so they they, they really did such a great job rick and, and matt and all the others that worked up. I mean, it's like crazy. The talent that they have in the storyboarding and the uh, the um, character designs and stuff, it, it's just truly amazing. It's we quite a sight to behold, animation. isn't it, when you get to see the final product. They're, they're beautiful, beautiful films. And, of course, you've got Matt Ryan back as the voice of your Constantine again. This is almost a decade that he's been playing the character now across, you know, Legends of Tomorrow, his own show, and the animated movies. What's it like for you as a, you know, as a writer, but also as a fan of the character, hearing this iconic voice, you know, who is the voice of this generation's Constantine embodying your, you know, your words? Well, it's great, actually. I, I was watching the show before I got the job. I think they were on episode five or six at the time when I first started writing Justice League Dark. And so I knew he was going to play it. Um, so I, I kind of, he informed my version of Constantine a lot. And then once I saw him do it live, um, he actually came in in the trench coat, and it was awesome. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, he's like it's so methody uh, in, that, in that thing that he just like was John Constantine in the booth. You know, nothing crazy. He was yeah. like talking yeah. muffins and saying, um, he's not that type. <laughs> he's great. He's great, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I said it before. It's like I don't, I don't write con- my version of Constantine anymore. My version of Constantine is Matt Ryan doing his version of Constantine. Like yeah. I try and go, what, what would Matt Ryan say <laughs> as Constantine, rather than what would Constantine say? Yeah, you know. So it, like, it's been a big influence on me. So that was the lovely Matt Peters, director of Constantine, the House of Mystery, and Ernie Altbacher, who also wrote the short. Next up, we're going to hear from voice actor Matt Lanter. You might know him as the voice of Anakin Skywalker in years of uh, Star Wars cartoons across Clone Wars and all the different shows that have been going on. He is also an accomplished live-action actor, 
who has appeared in shows such as Timeless. He was also in last year's Netflix adaption of the comic book Jupiter's Legacy. How you doing, Matt? How you doing today? I'm very good. How are you? Yeah, I am good, thank you. I'm currently just having a fight with my cat who really wants to play with the microphone. Um, (laughs) So, Blue Beetle. I mean, this is something really special for these DC Showcase shorts. It's such a different watch than than what we've seen before. I kind of wanted to just start out by taking me back to the beginning, and I want to know what your reaction was like when you first, first read the script for it. Well, I think the first thing that stood out to me was the tone. It's obviously much different than a lot of things yeah. um, being made. And I mean, that that's what's so fun to me. It's just kind of this throwback tone and, in fact, you know, pushed even a little bit more uh, comical in a way. And it was just a joy. I mean, it was really just a good time um, to kind of be bad on purpose and um, – <laughs> You know, and I just I I love I just love how it turned out. I love the little subtleties and and you know <laughs> terrible animation, <laughs> terrible voice acting, and uh, it was just a joy. Well, see, so yeah, you say it there. You know, the, the the quote unquote terrible voice acting. I mean, you've you know you voiced Aquaman before in some of the other DC films, and those are typically much more serious than than what we've got here. I mean, how how did you go about finding that kind of stilted and you know sort of terrible voice that fits with the '60s cartoon aesthetic? Well, I mean, I'm somewhat familiar with just the the old kind of campy style. I grew up watching, uh, you know, Adam West, and <laughs> I, I I love those, and and so I I think I just immediately kind of understood what everybody was going for here, and you know, really didn't take long to kind of try to find a little groove here and, uh, and just run with it. And I think every time, you know, we knew it kind of fit if it made us all chuckle a little bit. So <laughs> that was kind of the, the gauge. <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense. Did you, did you use this as an excuse to dive back and watch some, some of the classics? I mean, it, I rarely need an excuse to go watch an old episode of Scooby-Doo and this seems like the perfect excuse for it. I, I didn't because I'm so familiar, since you mentioned Scooby-Doo, I'm so familiar with Scooby-Doo. I grew up <laughs> watching every episode of Scooby-Doo. I, before, before you know, there were streaming services and even DVDs and, and that sort of thing, I remember as a kid um, taking road trips uh, back and forth to, you know, family's house in Ohio. We were living in Georgia at the time or, or vice versa. Well, that doesn't matter. But either way, the point is, is that my sister and I, we used to tape record on a cassette. We would tape record episodes of Scooby-Doo, and we would listen to it on our, you know, little Walkman headphones in the car. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, we were we were big, big fans. So, I no, I didn't need to go back and watch any of this stuff. I'm just very, I'm familiar with it. And then when it... Watching it back, it is almost sort of an unnatural way to speak. It's almost like everything is a very bold, melodramatic statement. So was that something that you had to kind of get your head around breaking the normal pattern of speech to try and get into the mindset of this kind of cartoon character? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a, a little bit. But, but once you start doing it and, and you just have, it's just about having fun with it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's certainly not something that you would approach a, a typical... Um, audition with you know yeah. especially i think you kind of mentioned it earlier the dc stuff is it's really good really quality you know animation and it's quality voice acting and and really uh you know good storytelling and so definitely a departure from what you know i'm used to with aquaman um you know watching other uh, 
DC animations. But, um, you know, once you get into it, again, I don't want to make it seem like it was a hard thing to do. I <laughs> fell into it, and we all, once we all started kind of laughing, and we all were just on the same page, it was just, it was an off-to-the-races kind of thing. And then we would, you know, do many takes of, of certain lines or scenes or whatever, and, 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 and just pick the best one, which probably meant the one that made everyone laugh. And then when you were when you were recording it, what kind of visuals did you have when you were in the booth? Did you have anything to try and work from at that point, or were you just sort of visualizing those classic cartoons in your head as you were doing it? Oh gosh, you know, truthfully, we recorded this so long ago. I think we recorded in December of nineteen. Wow, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Gary, are you on the line? Can you answer? I think it was right. <laughs> I was out in LA for a. I was out in LA for, I think, the Force Awakens premiere, actually. Um, Mr. Landry is correct. Wow. Yeah, it, it was a while back. And Gary, did I, I, I think you had shown me some, some drawings, maybe, of, of this. I, I don't remember. Yeah, they had, they had some, some drawings to show you, but it was December of 2019, back yeah. when only bad guys wore masks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there was, it was, uh, I think I had a little bit of, you know, I understood kind of how it was going to look a little bit, but really it was just about everyone having a discussion, having a chat about the throwback kind of nature of the tone and, and the animation. I knew that they were going to, I knew they were going to do a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of hiccups in the animation on purpose, you know, yeah. such as, for example, it, I, you'll hear my voice. I'm done talking. You don't hear anything, but but Blue Beetle's mouth continues to move. Yep. You know, it's little things like that. So I, I kind of understood what we were going for when we started, you know, kind of chatting about all the, uh, uh, the little kind of throwback errors, so to speak, uh, that we wanted to, to do. And so then flash forwards, obviously, to a little while later, you, you know, you get to see the final product. You get to see this kind of quality attempt at poor quality animation <laughs> and this, you yeah. know, this really, really amazing recreation of those cartoons that we all love what was your reaction to seeing it and especially to hearing that you now have an iconic theme tune as blue beetle because it's just the perfect way to kick off this cartoon and taking throwing you back to the 60s era what was it like seeing the final product i love the trip i just saw it i think for the first time yesterday oh wow um and yeah 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 so it's fresh uh oh it was great i love i mean from the very get-go um, you know, you've got the, the, the cheesy sound effect and, and the looping animation, you know, but they'll, yes. they'll literally use the same sequence of animation, you know, the next, a minute later and you can see, and it's just, it's hilarious. And so I think if you're looking out for all those things, it's, you know, again, I already used the word, it's just, it's a joy to watch. It's, it's fun. It's a departure from what we've been used to recently. And it's, I think everyone loves that bit of nostalgia. And so it's just a blast to watch. Um, you know, me as a voice actor, I, I always, yeah, no matter what it is, I always pick on myself. So there's always things I would, you know, want to do different or wonder, ah, oh, man, I'd love another hack at that line or something, you know, but <laughs> hey, it is what it is. It was really fun. And, um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. I would love to do more, honestly. I'd love to do a whole series on this Blue Beetle just because I think yes. it'd be a blast to do. I don't know if it would have sustainability or not as far as people want to, you know, tune in week to week or, you know, on a streaming service. But, man, I'd love to. 
Yeah, no, I'm right with you on that one. I was watching it again earlier today, and I, yeah, you instantly leave that that short wanting to to see more because there's just so much there that you could you could do even with just picking up on more of those classic tropes. But there's so much to it. But you just mentioned there yeah. the 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 idea of the, the you know the voice acting and the fact that you you know you might reflect on things that you could have done differently. I would imagine not being an actor myself that voice acting can in many ways be more complex than when you're working on a set because. You know, you don't have your facial expressions to rely on. It's all in your voice. So is that a challenge that you as an actor kind of enjoy when you're moving between kind of live action and and voice acting roles? Oh, certainly. Uh, You know, something that a lot of people will, you know, they'll ask a question, what is it like acting versus, uh, you know, um, doing a voice? And I'm like, wait a minute, hang on, hang on. Doing voices, doing doing animation, that is acting. So I, I hate when people preface that question, you know, don't refer to voice acting as, as acting, because it really is, because it does take a lot of, um, you really do have to reach kind of into the depths of your creativity to express and emote in a scene and, and connect with other characters, um, oftentimes who are not in the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and to make it sound good and to make it sound right. So those are definitely a lot of the challenges. Um, that come along with voice acting. Um, and it's just different. It's different than on camera. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, especially when you're doing something that, that requires a lot of creativity. Uh, I, I say this a lot in, you know, in the Star Wars universe. Dave Filoni's directing us, hey, you're, you're riding a big dragon, you fall 30 feet, you hit the ground, you roll, and then your lightsaber comes. You know, so you have to imagine all that yeah. and just go for it. And, uh, and you know, just, just do your best. But I think it's really just about tapping into your creativity and letting go. Because this is something we, I would say most of us did as kids. We would give voices to characters and we committed to it. You know, it's just uh, now I'm an adult and I'm getting paid, which is silly. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, I think that's all my time for today. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. So that was Matt Lanter. Up next, you're going to hear from Tim Sheridan, who is the writer of The Losers Short in this anthology collection. This is, I think, the third time I've spoken to Tim now. He also wrote both uh, Superman, Man of Tomorrow, and both parts of Batman The Long Halloween, so is an accomplished DC animated movie writer, and has also been working on comic books such as Teen Titans Academy, Shazam, and uh, is currently working with Jeff Johns on Flashpoint Beyond. Right, Tim, it's lovely to chat to you again. How are you doing today? Oh, very good. I'm I'm very glad to talk to you. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm all the better for talking to you, my friend. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we'll see how we feel in about ten minutes' time. But you know, we're we're starting out well. Um, so DC Showcase Shorts, I think we're kind of all on the same page that this is a really brilliant platform to bring some lesser known characters to the screen and to the audience but what attracted you to working with uh with the characters of the losers specifically for this film well i really identify with them just by name only i, <laughs> I, I think we all I do that like these are my people these are my people um no i i i was you know i just wasn't when i was growing up and i was picking up batman and um, Justice League International, and and um, I was thinking of DC's Star Trek comics back then too. Oh wow, I love those, those uh, books. Were amazing. The, 
Yeah, weren't they great when the, in the movie universe, the classic movie? Universe yeah. And stuff? Um, I I was I was you know war comics were not uh, you know sitting on the spinner rack uh, ready for for my greedy little you know hands. <laughs> match up. So I didn't really get a lot of exposure to these guys. And of course, post-crisis on infinite earth, you know, these characters, you know, <laughs> many of them, you know, uh, may or may not have existed at the time, you know, it was all a little, a little, it was a wild time. Yeah. Um, and so, so my, I did not grow up with them in the way that, um, you know, the, the, you know, the generation before me, uh, like my, my older siblings and, you know, even my dad would have grown up with. And uh, so I came to these guys later when only when I was working on the Sergeant Rock DC mm, showcase yeah. short with Bruce Tim and the Simonson. And I said, you know, I'd always seen the name The Losers, but I just had never really done a deep dive. And when I was researching and reading stuff for that, um, I started checking out and seeing the losers where they were, you know, arguably my favorite of that particular genre of comics in terms of the war stuff. The losers were my, you know, the ones I understood I yeah. think, better than anybody. They just had a great hook. They just had a really easy to understand and great hook. And, you know, it was, it's a, it's a team book, but it's not, you know, there's no capes. <laughs> so, um, so I, I would have, you would, if I had probably, if I picked these up when I was a kid, I might have, I might have, I don't know if I would have taken to them without the capes. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. But as an adult getting to read them, uh, understanding that, you know, you can take or leave the capes, but it's about the team dynamic and yeah. the characters and relationships. And that's really what makes, you know, things like Justice League. Uh, and all the stories in the DC universe, the Teen Titans, um, makes them so interesting um, and so compelling. And so this, The Losers has all of that and had all of that. So there's this great foundation of relationship and character and storytelling and this great team with a really cool hook about you know, these guys who are you know, the last survivors of doomed missions all brought together and they're doing you know, trying to, 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 to get, you know, keep trying to survive and, and to do something good and to win one. Um, and, uh, and so, so, so I, I, I think that, that, um, you know, that was kind of, it sparked my interest when I, when I got, when I was doing that research on Sergeant Rock and then when, uh, Jim Cree called and said, Hey, what do you think about doing a short with the losers? Cause I know he's a big fan of the losers. And uh, I said, that sounds like a lot of fun. Let's do it. Although there is something really daunting about introducing characters who people aren't really familiar with, who, who are huge characters. Um, so there's a segment of people who love and know these characters uh, of comic book fans. And then there's a lot of people who just don't know who they are at all. Yeah, yeah. And so putting them on screen for the first time is you know, it's a very daunting, daunting task. And, and with only 15 minutes to do it is, you know, I was about to, uh, to mention that actually because obviously and you know we know you've written for for TV you know animated TV shows before where your runtime is kind of closer to that sort of 20 22 minutes but when it's a kind of a standalone short like this is there an added complexity to trying to to tell a well-rounded story particularly with a group of characters as well Yeah exactly like if this had been one character um you know uh that amount of, you know 15 minutes I, I can i can do a lot of damage in 15 minutes <laughs> i can 
you know, but when you put a team uh, in, you know, on the page, uh, it's, it's, it can get much more difficult. I mean, this is something I've learned the hard way with Titans Academy at DC Comics, which I've been doing, um, you know, which we're just wrapping up now. But it was, you know, the, you know, it was a, it's hard enough to do one team, but I kind of created a book that had three different teams, maybe four. And so there were just so many characters and only 22 pages of an issue to really tell the story. So it, it, you know, it came to me very quickly that this was almost an impossible task for someone who hadn't worked in comics before, which was where I was. But, um, but so, so yeah, so it was, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing uh, when, when, when trying to get it right, you know, when you only have 15 minutes and you really want to introduce people to who these characters are, it, it's tough to only have 15 minutes in which to do it, especially when there's a team. One of the things that makes it easier, though, is particularly in sort of this Band of Brothers kind of war comic, war movie genre, um, the characters are, are very archetypal. Like, I think that even if you're not a big fan of that genre, you know who these characters are almost at first glance, you know, like in the beginning of the film when they're, they're on the boat and they're, they're, they're firing their weapons out of the mysterious creature out of the water and uh, barking at each other. And, you know, they, you, you're all, you're transported right away. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that you, you kind of know who these characters are. They're kind of in our DNA, this, this basic archetype of character. people like Sarge, you know, Sarge is, you know, there's a reason why those archetypes, exist and why the, we think of things like, oh, Sarge is uh, the burly guy who's gruff and, you know, who's, you know, very blue collar and, you know, uh, and he's called Sarge, you know, and, and, and we've seen that so many times. Well, we see it because it, he was such a popular character in The Losers, yeah. you know, I mean, this was a character, this was an archetype that was very popular in, in that genre and at the time, and there was a reason why he made it into the pages of these comics and why he was on screen so much, that type of character. So um, even if you're not, you know, steeped in this genre, I think you know who they are. That makes it really easy to to tell the story because I don't need to spend a lot of time explaining, you know, well, Sarge is called Sarge because yeah, yeah. his rank is sergeant. And he is, that means that he is not an officer. But, he, you know, like, how do we do any of that? You just kind of get who they are right away. And then you go and complicate it even more by making it a World War II story, a nice timey-wimey story, and then you throw in dinosaurs as well. So how do you then balance <laughs> all of those on top of all the rest of everything that's going on? Well, see, this is where the comics part of it comes in. Because, look, we're not just making a war movie, right? So, <laughs> like, when you read these books, these stories, um, you know, there, there are often these fantastical sci-fi, horror, uh, you know, all sorts of elements. There's other genres. There's mystery and, and romance. There's all sorts of genres that sort of come together into these, you know, war books um, and war movies uh, throughout the ages. And that, you know, it, you know, in the way that Dinosaur Island in this story is like a nexus between time and space and realities and things, we kind of sort of so we sort of hinted that, um, uh, you know, this, this in a very meta way, this 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 short is kind of a nexus of different genres. I mean, it's a it's a war movie, but it's a sci-fi movie, and it's a horror movie, and it's you know, it used to have more of a romance angle too, uh, but we had you know, for time, we had to kind of lose some of that part of the story. But 
um, and you know, just a, a big meetup and a nexus of, of genres, which I think is very true to what comic books are and yeah. what uh, war comics were. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I think you. I think you're spot on. And I mean, we, I can't avoid it. You're you are working on comic books at the moment. We've got Flashpoint Beyond, which is just beginning to unravel. I literally just read uh, issue one, which comes out in a couple of weeks. How is it working in such a, um, a hugely legendary corner of the DC universe now? Well, I can tell you, I'm really grateful Jeff Johns is there with us. Um, you know, Jeremy Adams and I. You know, we had some ideas, and and uh, and we said, you know, to DC, we're like, look, we don't, we don't really want to do this unless Jeff is, you know, cool with us doing something that takes place in a flashpoint. I mean, this was a thing that came, you know, out of his brain, uh, and and uh, and DC talked to Jeff, and, and uh, who I didn't know, we, we, Jeremy and I didn't know him at the time. Okay, and uh, and he said, not only am I excited about it. He said, I want to uh, write issue zero, and I want to help you out and be there through the whole thing. Let's, let's, let's work together on it. And Jeremy and I were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> we just basically get to have a, you know, seven-issue masterclass of, you know, comics from a guy that's done, you know, just some of the biggest things in yeah. comic books. Um, and so uh, I'm just incredibly lucky, incredibly fortunate, you know. Uh, and for me... Uh, so somebody asked me about this earlier because this was something that went around Twitter recently, which was somebody was asking, like, what was the thing that made you, uh, uh, you know, want to get in, you know, think, oh, I want to do this. I want to get into this business. This is what I want to do. And it was, for me, it was a light bulb moment when I was sitting in Ballroom 20 at San Diego Comic-Con watching the Flashpoint Paradox and oh, wow. adaptation. Um, and I said out loud to my friends, I was like, I, I want to do this. <laughs> and then I, you know, that sort of, I, once I had that North Star, I, uh, um, you know, I, I, I started, you know, meeting people and, and building up my, my, my portfolio and trying to, to, uh, to figure out how to break into the business. And I happened to get the chance to meet and work uh, under Jim Creek and he, uh, opened the door for me at Warner Brothers, and then I was, you know, within a short time, I was scripting the Reign of the Superman adaptation for James Tucker and Jim, you know, with Jim Creed, who, you know, these are the guys who did Flashpoint Paradox yeah. animated. Um, and then, you know, and then now here we are because of the work I've done in animation, I'm getting to do this Flashpoint Beyond, the sequel to Flashpoint with with Jeff Johns, the guy who co-created Flashpoint. So it's um you know i i to say that i'm grateful is you know, the biggest understatement of my life um i just <laughs> you don't know how i've been the luckiest nerd in the world to do this for, for the run that i've gotten to do it for but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> it's no, it's it's well it's well deserved in in my opinion. But what else is coming up for you at the moment? What else? I know you normally can't answer this question, but I always ask it anyway. Uh, but what else do you have coming up at the moment? No, <laughs> no, I can't say anything. There, I don't think there's. I think Flashpoint Beyond. It, you know, besides the T Titans Academy is wrapping up. Issue fourteen uh, is out uh, today as we're recording this, or oh. as we're talking to each other. Today, as we're talking to each other, the 14, and then there's one more issue next month, issue 15, and then that book is um, being retired. And then um, uh, Flashpoint Beyond uh, runs for, uh, I think, through I think October monthly. Um, so that story will spin out uh, across DC. And then uh, otherwise, I'm working on a bunch of stuff in TV right now. 
Um, but none of it I'm allowed <laughs> I can talk about at this point. But I think you'll be hearing about one of those things soon, oh. possibly within the next month. Oh. There'll be a there'll be an announcement. Yeah. Oh, I'm intrigued to know more. Then I'm going to have to keep an eye out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, brilliant. Thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me again today. And until next time, I look forward to catching up with you again. Thanks again to Tim. It's always lovely to chat to him. I really hope to catch up with him in person one day. Um, And now, uh, last but very not least, you are going to hear from Rick Morales. So we've spoken to Rick on this show before uh, when we were doing one of the Mortal Kombat animated movies when we were doing press for that. Rick is an accomplished animation producer and his uh, work goes across all four of the movies in this anthology. So it's over to Rick. Hey Rick, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, I am very well, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today about this very exciting collection. Um, just want to start kind of at the beginning. I mean, these these showcase shorts are they're such a brilliant way to shine a light on some lesser known and kind of characters that maybe need a bit of love and some time in the spotlight. But how do you mm-hmm. kind of as producers? How do you decide which characters you want to focus on when you're looking at what to kind of do in the next batch? Uh, well, so when, when I when I got brought into it, um, when they approached me, it was it was already sort of in Jim Krieg's head um, what the the anchor was going to be, and that was the Constantine uh, film, yeah, and the the sort of epilogue that that is to Apocalypse War. So he he kind of had an idea for that already. And um, we knew we wanted to do three more. So then it began the conversation of like, well, what, what characters would we be interesting, you know, would, would we be interested in doing and, and what would we find sort of fun for us to, to work on? And, and it just kind of starts sort of informally like that. Um, Commandy was a, a, a you know, a, a character that I think a lot of people have had an interest in, in trying to bring to the screen at Warner Brothers Animation for a long time. And so... Um, um, his name came up uh, almost immediately and it felt like, well, you know what, now we, we, we've got these shorts, this would be the perfect place to kind of see what we can do with that. Um, and then, and then Blue Beetle, I, I was always, I've always been a big fan of the Ted Cord Blue Beetle. Yeah. Um, just loved him from, from, you know, uh, Justice League International and, and, uh, just, I have always been a fan of his relationship with uh, with Booster Gold. I always thought that was really fun, and so uh, that came up, and then it, it sort of morphed into, um, well, what if it were the the Charlton heroes? And I was like, oh, that's that's kind of fun, you know. And then we started talking about the question, and it, and then it, it, you know, just just the way that that story kind of developed, it felt very um, time specific. Yeah. You know, once we started talking about the, the the characters that we would use and the Ditko influence and all that, and and you know, as soon as it sort of became a Charlton thing and and Ditko's name was mentioned, I was like, well, if we're doing that, we should totally do it as an homage to you know the '60s cartoons that we watched in in rerun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, in rerun when I was a kid. Yeah, and. Um, and that, and that were so important to us, you know, Super Friends and Spider Man, and and so um, when I said when I said that, you know, Jim Krieg is a is a huge 
he's a huge fan for the, the, the old Spider-Man show. And, you know, in fact, he, he did a student film that I was completely unaware of when I, when I mentioned this, um, that, that was a take on the, on the, on the Spider-Man stuff in, in live action. That's oh, really wow. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I don't know if he wants me telling that to everybody, but I have, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, um, and his eyes just lit up and it was like, yes, let's do that. And so, so we went down that road with it and, you know, all of it kind of came, you know, pretty organically. And, and there's not like a lot of pressure uh, from coming from executives or DC into like, these have to be the characters that we want to showcase and it has to be this version. And, it ha- and so it's just, it, it, you know, they, they gave us a lot of freedom to choose. Wow. That's and that's great that you've got that creative freedom as well, so that you can explore the areas that you're interested in, rather than kind of being pigeonholed into something that maybe your your focus wouldn't necessarily have been on. Sticking with Blue Beetle for a second, which is just, I mean, they're all outstanding in their own special ways, but I, it kind of feels like it would have been really, really fun working on that one particularly, and kind of deciding on. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to word it kind of recreating the lack of attention to detail that animators had back in sort of like the (laughs) Spider-Man show. I mean, how far did you feel like you could push it? I mean, you've got the moments like, um, you know, Blue Beetle isn't speaking any dialogue, but his mouth is moving. The colors switch around. So they're in the wrong order. How fun was that to work on? Oh, it was, it was, it was amazing. You know, one of the, one of the jokes that, you know, once, once it became clear that we were, (laughs) that we were doing that, uh, it, we were in one of our meetings and the, one of the executives was like, well, if we're going to do it that way, and I had mentioned, you know, Ralph Bakshi and, and uh, how we're going to do the sky colors and all that. And uh, he was like, um, well, if you're going to do it that way, we're going to have to like give you two weeks to, to do it. We're going to have to cut the schedule. And we kind of, we kind of chuckled about it, but in a way, um, you know, that it, it's not to sort of make fun of those artists or, de- or deride them in any no, way. No, not at all. It's a, it's a wonderful homage. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're trying to show like love to, to, to what they did. And, but also understanding that like, man, they were just, they were churning it out. Yeah. You know, they were moving fast and, and they just had to go. So they, they were, you know, living with the mistakes and you see them and it does add a certain amount of, of charm to it. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to, I, I didn't think there were any limits to it. I just thought the, the, the more that we could squeeze into it, the better. And, and, but the, the funny thing about it is um, um, Milo Newman, who was uh, the director on that one, he, he's, a, he's a younger guy. He did a bunch of stuff uh, with me. He did boards uh, on the Mortal Kombat stuff that I had yeah. done. And I just was a big fan of his work, thought he, he, he was right there, ready to make the leap into directing. And I, I felt this was the these were the perfect vehicles to you know to these shorts to to get him doing that. Um, but then it's funny because you know here's here's a younger guy that maybe wasn't you know as familiar with these sixty sort of cartoons. And and I, I you know I remember like at first it's like well you know I'm like that's shot too well. Like we have to <laughs> kind of mess up the composition and. And, he, and it was sort of like everybody was kind of like, really? What? You know, because you're working with with younger guys. A lot of these storyboard artists were younger and not not really maybe fans the way that, that Jim Krieg and I were of some of this stuff. But so it, it, it took some like, you know, getting used to for them to 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 
make their minds work in a different way than they normally would, which yeah. is like this really like the filmmaking of it all, you know, and, and what, what corners they needed to cut um, as far as like the amount of animation, the amount of acting um, that was, that's happening with the characters. And uh, so, yeah, it, 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 but I think once, you know, once Milo got on board with it, once he, he, and it happened very quickly once he understood, Oh, okay, I get it. Then he just had a lot of fun with it and, you know, just contributed a lot of great ideas to, to the short. And then you kind of, you hop on over to something like the losers where you have this brilliant mix of different genres. You know, you have the world war two aspect, you've got the dinosaurs, you've got the time travel, and you've also got a more of an ensemble cast rather than a kind of a solo lead is, you know, mm-hmm. do you have to kind of pair things back a little bit when you're trying to construct a story for the shorter runtime, especially when you've got multiple characters in there, does it become more complex when you're working with a shorter runtime? Um, I'm sorry. I missed the, the, you kind of cut out there on the first part of the question. Could sorry. Um, that was, what I was just saying was when you, you know, when you're working with the shorter runtime, do you have to kind of try and think about simplifying things to a certain degree to try and make sure that it works because you've got less time to tell your story? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's the that's the challenge. I mean, the great thing about these shorts is, as you said, it gives you an opportunity to um, explore characters that that might not get the spotlight put on them normally. Yeah. But it also limits the amount of time that you can spend with them. So I think the, the key to it, what we try to do was like, you have to distill them down to, to their most um, pure essence um, in, in my view. And so it's like uh, with, with the losers, um, you know, what, what, what do, what's the, the thing you're trying to say about it very simply because you don't have a whole lot of time yeah. and you've got a lot of characters to kind of introduce and so, oddly, oddly enough, one one of the things that I that I uh, that I point to um, is uh, a film like Predator, and I and I always bring this up because I think they do such a such a great job in that movie. Uh, there's just there's a scene of of all the you know, and that's an ensemble cast, and there's a ton of characters in it, and yeah, they're kind of cartoonish, but there's a scene with them in the in, in the chopper, and they're and they're heading uh, you know, towards. Um, towards the jungle and there's just you spend a tiny bit of time with them and in that time you know every single thing that you need to know about those characters they they just they're little moments you know it's, it's yeah. just them yeah, yeah. spinning on the shoe and and so to me it's like we we kind of have to do that like you know how does sarge react in this situation like that's going to tell you everything that you kind of need to know about this character and so you you have to kind of try to be precise uh you know, with that, especially when you're, when you're dealing with like five characters and, and half of them die, uh, halfway through your 11 minute short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you, you know, you come onto the, the anchor of this collection with Constantine and you've got someone like Matt Ryan, who's been playing this guy for nearly a decade at this point. What's it like working with actors when they're, they're so kind of intimately knowledgeable about their character but then also for the audience you know us as fans they're kind of synonymous with the character what's it like working with someone that's that's been around with the character for that long well i think it's it i think it's great i think it's to me it's sort of it it makes my job easier because that's not a character that i have to find 
yeah. anymore. You know, yeah. um, be, be, he know he knows that character. He knows how he's going to act. He knows. I mean, you say ten years, and my jaw just like kind of gapes open. Because, <laughs> I know. I know. You know ten years. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's getting on but, for ten but, years since his his solo show. That's amazing. Wow. But but anyway, like we knew immediately, like okay, yeah, we're following this thing up. It's going to be him. It has to be him. And then you know, I, to me, it's a big benefit because, like I said, he knows that character better than I do at this point. Um, he's worked on him longer. I mean, he's playing him. The words are coming out of his mouth. He understands how he's going to speak, you know. And so, for us, um, you know, Ernie wrote that one. Um, and, and, uh, he does a good job of sort of finding the voice, I think, but then even within that, you're in the, you're in the recording and, you know, Matt would be like, well, I don't know if he'd quite, if he'd say it quite like that. And you're like, okay, well, how would he say it? And then you're like, well, it might be more like this. And you're like, yeah, 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 you're, that's right. <laughs> Go for it. You, you, you know it, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. sort of, and it's the same thing with like, you know, when I've, when I've done Scooby stuff and I've worked with those, <clears throat> with those actors and it's like, you know, um, you know, you got Frank Welker and he's like, and he's done, you know, he's played Fred forever and, yeah. and he's played Scooby for the longest time. And, and it's like, if, if he tells you like, you know, I think Scooby's talking a little too much here. I'm going to listen to that. I'm, I'm going to hear him because he's, he's got a, he's got a really good sense of it after, you know, whatever, 25, 30 years, whatever. Now, I know you you know, you know might have some of the future shorts maybe in the pipeline already, but I just wanted to ask you if there are any characters that kind of spring to mind that you would like to see take the spotlight in any future DC Showcase shorts. Um, you know, in... in um, obviously, I, I couldn't talk about what, what might be coming. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there... I, yeah, but I, but I still, you know, I, I still think that there are a, a number of characters... Uh, out there that you know for me personally i would like to do more with um with the green lantern specifically yeah. guy gardner um because I, you know i think he's he's just he's such a, a lovable jerk and he's kind of showed up a little bit here and there but he's never been the focus of anything and i i feel like you know that that's something that he's a character that we could sort of get into yeah that would be um, really interesting but yeah i mean mm-hmm yeah. So yeah, there's a ton of them, and and I know Jim's got a bunch, you know, in his in his back pocket that he'd love to see as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fun ideas in the DC universe, of course. There certainly are. And what else are you working on at the moment? What else is coming up for you? Um. Well, I I I'm, I <laughs> probably lots that you can't Gary, talk about. What can I, what, <laughs> what can I talk about? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Listen, there, 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 uh, there's more. I'm, I'm working away on some stuff, but I don't think we're ready to, to announce it yet. Um, but when it is, it's, uh, when it is announced, it's stuff that I am, um, very, very excited about, and some of the, the, the best work that I think I've, I've ever done in my career. So oh, that's, um, very, that's very exciting. To, uh, I look that, forward yeah, to hearing out. all about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing people's reactions when they finally get to see this collection bundled together, because I think it's a it's a great set of characters, and it's they're all so 
brilliant in their own way. It's going to be really exciting to see it out there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So thank you to Warner Brothers for arranging those interviews for us. That was uh, that was quite a week that I had there during all of those. You were away for some of that. I was in Dublin. You were in Dublin, and I was getting mugged in Blackheath. I even recorded one of those interviews uh, in my office at work because of timings and the wonderful um, Pacific Standard Time to British Summertime difference. But it was cool to talk to all of them, and nice to talk to some of them again, so... Ernie, Tim and Rick I've all spoken to before so now I'm circling back to people on the second or third go round which is kind of random hopefully one day maybe at New York Comic Con Mm. I might get to meet some of these people for real but thank you for sticking with us and waiting for us for a whole three months we're very sorry that we took a break but you know sometimes it is nice to have some downtime if you are looking for all of the latest news reviews and other such stuff then do not forget to check out our website which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk and if you want to leave us a review on any platform then it is always greatly welcomed and if you don't subscribe to us why not because we will be back at some point in the very near future hopefully a little bit more regularly depends how easy i find it to strap boy wonder down to a chair in front of a microphone i'm just, I'm very busy you are very busy and it's not for lack of trying that you know we haven't podcasted you're just very very busy unfortunately and a very very important person in your field but until next time stay safe stay well bye thanks for watching super friends if you enjoyed this video then make sure to hit the subscribe button just down below and hit the bell so that you can get notified whenever we release brand new videos in fact There's two more waiting for you to watch right here below. So what are you waiting for? Why not click play?